0: Hello, and welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Zach
1: and I'm Rin,
0: And we're here to talk to you today about conlangs. So after you've got together your phonology and your phonotactics, um, you're going to be thinking more about semantics, which is the idea about how meaning is constructed inside of your language. And so one of these vocabulary words that's going to be really helpful for understanding is something that's called a morpheme. So a phoneme is the is the basic unit of sound, right? If we have a word like cat, then there are three phonemes in there. You have the k, you have the ah, and you have the t. Um, in English, we would represent these with c, a, and t. Um, a morpheme is a unit of meaning, um, and it's not the same thing as a syllable. It's not the same thing as a word because you can have um, morphemes that are a little bit more than syllables and a little bit less than words, or that aren't even aren't even words at all. Um, some examples from English are like un or dis or n, where you can think about you know enchanted. It means you know n often talks about or enable you know putting on something, whether that's an enchantment. Um, or enchantment, whatever that is, or abling something or making something able to do something else. Um, Disappoint, where you are not appointing something, or you are already telling that in English we have these really wonky morphemes that work in some cases but don't work in other cases where you can't just take them off and then voila, you have another word.
1: so they're not—they're not a prefix. They're not a suffix. They're their own
0: thing. They're just a unit of meaning.
1: Okay. So
0: in uh, prefixes and suffixes are examples of morphemes, but not okay. all morphemes are prefixes, prefixes or suffixes. Uh, the
1: old square versus rectangle. Dilemma. Yes,
0: exactly. And when you're constructing your own language, you're going to want to think about think strategically about how your morphemes combine. Um, If you are modeling your language off of something like German, then you can just mash all of your morphemes together however you want. Um, One of my favorite German words is Schadenfreude, which literally translates as misery, schaden, and joy, freude. And Schadenfreude is this description of an emotion that you feel uh, when you are happy that somebody else is experiencing misfortune. It's often... um, you know, it's often described as a feeling that you get of uh, like uh, when you see righteous vengeance meted out, where you're like, "Oh, they had it coming for them!" <laughs> like, ah, oh, this feels so good. Um, uh, poetic justice is uh, an example of, of Schadenfreude, um, and once you have these these rules together, you can start creating the dictionary, or you can start making your words, and you can start assigning meanings. Um, to those words.
1: The next step is figuring out your grammar, which is basically how you stick your words together. Mm-hmm. Like, you can say... And, like, the syntax of the words, mm-hmm. uh, or your sentences, I should say, because, like, you can say... Let's think of, like, a simple sentence that makes sense one way but not another. Um, the red cat ran up a tree. Mm-hmm. You can't say... Well, you could say, but it wouldn't be correct. The tree... Ran up the red cat. Like that's like doesn't make sense? It's entirely different meaning. Yes. So the grammar and their syntax is super important,
0: yeah. So like Rin was mentioning, grammar includes the order that your words, the order that your words come in, and what grammatical function they play inside of the inside of the sentence. So if you're familiar with how to diagram sentences, you're going to have a huge leg up here because it's going to make it easier for you to identify the order that things go in. For example, in English, you have subject, verb, object order, where you have the grammatical subject of the sentence coming first, the verb coming second, and then the object coming last. Um, In other languages, you actually will change the words in order to show whether it's acting as the subject or as the object. Um, German is an example where you will change the articles that are attached to a noun in order to show whether it's the thing that's receiving the action or whether it's the thing that's giving the action. So whether it's the object or the subject, respectively. Um, other languages, for example, Spanish, you can. it is technically a subject-verb object language, but there's a lot of flexibility with how you move things around, where sometimes you can put the verb first and sometimes you can invert things. But Having a rule structure for how you, how you order your words is what the essence of grammar is about. Um, another one, which is probably the bane of everybody who has ever taken a foreign language class, is verb conjugations, um, which is just the idea of changing the verb so that it reflects the subject or the object or some other information about the context of uh, who or what or you know something else that is happening when the verb is happening. And in English, these are these are kind of weird because lots of the, the tense endings are the same. So if we're using see as our verb, like I see, you see, he, she, it sees, we see, they see, you know, most of them are see mm-hmm. except for he, she, it sees. Yes. And one of the things to be aware of is that you shouldn't fall into the trap of uh, thinking that just because that's how it's conjugated when it, something is happening doesn't mean that that's how it needs to be when it's not happening. Um, I recently edited a scientific paper for um, for an astronomer whose native language is Russian. And one of the things that I realized when I was editing it was that he didn't know that one of the weird things about English is that we will say, he has, like, you have this, or she has the book, or I have the... You know, I have the microphone, for example, but we say she has right where it's the it's the one little weird orphan child that doesn't fit in with any of the other tenses. But then when you go into the negative saying it, she doesn't, it's not she doesn't has is she doesn't have. And when I realized that I it just sort of blew my mind. I was like, oh, my goodness, why isn't it like that? That is so weird. It's uh, like
1: things English speakers know, but we don't know we know. Yes.
0: Yes. If you've seen that that meme that floats around the internet where it's like, this is the order that the adjectives must appear.
1: Literally Googling <laughs> that right now so we can put it on the podcast. So adjectives in English absolutely have to be in this order. Opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, purpose, noun. So you can have a lovely little old rectangular green French silver whittling knife, but if you mess with the word order in the side, you'll sound like a maniac.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: After so, you can kind of uh, play with uh, you can expand your dictionary into infinity, right? You can play with it as much as you want. As soon as you have most of the grammar rules down, the grammar is probably going to stay the same. But the kind of the crowning jewel, the chef's kiss, whatever you want to call it, of uh, constructing your own language is coming up with the alphabet. If you're going to use something other than the Latin alphabet, which is what we use to write in write in English um you can do what english does and what many other languages do which is having an alphabet where you have certain characters which represent certain phonemes and then you just mash the characters together in order to put your phonemes together Um, lots of languages do that but it's not the only thing that you could be doing can also be doing a syllabary. A syllabary is when your characters represent syllables rather than phonemes. And so, if you're using a syllabary, you're going to have you know potentially hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of different characters inside of this inside of this language. Um, you may be thinking, oh, well, isn't that something like Chinese or... Yeah, I was just thinking like,
1: like Japanese.
0: Japanese. Um, I can't speak for Japanese because I'm not as familiar with Japanese as I am with Chinese. But Chinese is actually not a syllabary. It's a um, logography. I okay. think that's how you pronounce it. Um, which is slightly different where you have characters that represent... is more along lines of concepts or morphemes. Okay. So... You have a character that represents water, and you have something else that refers, represents boat, but they're not—they're not directly related to each other, mm-hmm. sort of, sort of thing. Although yeah. conceivably, you could come up with a logography where your logographs or the individual characters are morphemes, and then you just stick them together in order to make your to make your words. That would be kind of cool to look at.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would say on the topic of Japanese, I think it has both a syllabary and a logography. Hirogan and Katakana are syllabaries, and ligo- and then it also has the... Oh, I can't remember the word for the logography, like the Chinese characters, because yes. J- Japanese and Chinese share a lot of similar characters. Is it kanji? It is kanji. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, you, so you can even mix them and have like... Two or three writing systems for one language, which is a lot of work. I don't know who wants to do that.
0: You know, if you're just if you're just really into languages, then yeah. maybe you would do that. But if it's just for your fantasy novel, you're maybe probably stop okay. at one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect.
0: Um and then the last thing is called an abjad. And abjads are really common in um Middle Eastern languages, so things like Hebrew or Arabic. And uh, the concept of an abjad is that you're only writing down the consonants, and that the, you figure out the vowels based on the context. Um, so, like
1: text speak.
0: Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like uh, institutionalized text speak for language. Thanks for the for memories by Fall Boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so So, um, what if you are intending on making your own uh, your own alphabet for the language? Um, you would. And you're trying to figure out, oh well, how do I type that? We will link something, a link in the show notes, to a um, to a Reddit thread that has instructions for how to create your own your own font that you can use to type. Um, so you can use that uh, to come up with your own alphabet or abjad. Um, if you start looking towards syllabaries and logographies, you're probably going to run out of keys on your keyboard pretty quick. Um, but you know, the resource will be there.
1: Yeah. Other things we'll put in the show notes are two books that Zach has recommended, The Language Construction Kit by Mark Rosenfelder and The Art of Language Invention by David J. Peterson. So those will also be in the show notes, but I think that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for tuning in.